0: Hello, and welcome to In-Depth with Beth and Seth, a podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. I am Beth Hoffman-Faith, and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth, and I am delighted, as always, to be joined by my colleague, Seth Patterson, as we take a deeper dive into what was preached the Sunday prior. Today, we are looking at Sunday, March 14th, 2021, in which Seth was the preacher, preaching on a text from Numbers 21. and The title is, Why Should I Look at It? Hello, Seth.
1: Hello. Happy Ides of March to you. Well, thank you. Yes, beware them, I'm told. Beware the Ides of March. I guess so. Yeah. And yesterday was Pi Day. There's all sorts of fun things with the, the dates right now.
0: Well, right. And St. Patrick's Day is this week. That's right. But you are joining us from sunny Florida. I am.
1: I am visiting my in laws in Florida. And uh, I am looking outside at a pool where my daughter and my niece are frolicking, I think is the right word for what two seven year olds do in the pool. They are frolicking. And I'm supposed to introduce myself. My name is Seth, and I am your Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater, and I am so glad to be here with you wherever I might be sitting. I'm glad to be with you. And I'm excited to have this conversation.
0: Well, it was an excellent sermon and one that is uh, certainly worth talking about. So how about if we begin with you sort of recapping in a couple of sentences this interesting passage (laughs) from Numbers chapter 21?
1: This is sort of an odd passage. It's part of that the Torah and the first five books of the, of the Hebrew Bible that tells all these stories, uh, especially as the ancient Israelites were wandering from Egypt to their new homeland and they, they did that for a long time. And so all these things happen. and in this one, it's one of, there's several instances and this is one in which the, the Israelites complained to Moses about their situation. mean, they've been freed from captivity, but at least in Egypt, they knew what they were eating and where they were sleeping. But here they start complaining and they complain about the food specifically, which I find to be hilarious, Mm -hmm. that our connection with the ancient people is the same, that we will always complain when the food is not up to our standards. No matter what those standards might be, we are unhappy when the food is too predictable (laughs) or bland or something. So they complain about it and God is frustrated by their complaining and sends serpents, poisonous serpents, to come and bite them, which, which is sort of a non-sequitur response, it feels like to me. Like, oh, you're complaining about the food? Here, get bitten by a snake. Then the people complain about that, rightly so, and they say, we're sorry, Moses, we're sorry, God, we, we shouldn't have complained. Please save us from these snakes. So God tells Moses that the way to save people from the snakes is to make a bronze statue of a serpent put it on a pole and anybody who is bitten by the real snake just has to look at the bronze snake and they'll be okay. That is where it ends abruptly. That's it. I I actually think solved.
0: (laughs) exactly. This percope has always amused me um, because it's like God acting as the authoritarian parent and just saying, well, you don't like the food? I'll give you something that you really won't like. I'm going to give you serpents and they're going to bite you. And now we'll see how you complain. I I don't know. There's got to look for the humor here. Um, like when I was a
1: kid and I wouldn't like hurt myself somehow minorly, like stub a toe or cut a finger, paper cut. And my parents say, you know, if we cut off a toe, you wouldn't even notice this anymore. And it's that mm-hmm. Well, you are not going to notice the food when you're being attacked by snakes.
0: I guess that's one way to look at it. One way to Resolve the issue, it was interesting to me because after you finish the sermon, dwayne, as we're- wa- we're watching you know we're your small audience on Thursdays. Dwayne was very impressed with your take on this passage, and he he was very clear that this is not one of his favorite scriptures, and no. he was really grateful he didn't have to tackle it. Um, there are a lot of really problematic scriptures in the Bible oh, yeah. and I have always been impressed, Seth, with the way that you can take a scripture passage and find your way in after some wrestling. Because I know you do; you wrestle with the text oh, yeah. and then you find your some a way in. and And you made this really accessible and relevant, which is the charge of preachers, but also not always accomplished. I
1: well, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.
0: It, yeah. This one was a tough
1: one. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Indeed, because this was again, a very
1: small door to try to wiggle through to find something in there.
0: But you did and you found something really significant. So th- there's two threads here in your sermon. There's there's sort of two tracks and they're connected for sure. But as I've been reflecting on it, you tackle sort of two things. One is the issue and the understanding of impatience. And you lift up you know how impatience lives in a very real situation with your daughter in your life, but also you look at the people in the text as being incredibly impatient and therefore complaining about a thing that becomes really easy to complain about, even though what they're really impatient for is a home and right. settled, being settled. It has little to do with the food, but the food becomes an easy target, right? Uh, and and you take us, you take the listeners, kind of on this journey through our own understanding of impatience. You know, I'm sure everyone who listens to the sermon or sees you preach it will be reflecting on how impatient li- lives in their lives, which I think is, a, again, a real important piece of preaching. I just want to offer up a quote because I think this is really powerful. You say, there are consequences for us when we become impatient. And sometimes our impatience can result in insidious things like acts of violence, greed, or great abuses of power. Impatience is not thoughtful. It is reactive instead of responsive and usually searches for the easiest and most proximate answer. Impatience has been one ingredient in the greedy recipe that has brought upon unforgivable acts of inhumanity. I need more land, so I will just seize it. I need a cheap labor force, so I will enslave it. I need more, so I will just take it now. Instead of waiting to find ways to live in relationship with others and the earth, our impatience has created crisis after crisis. That, whoo, that's a big statement, Seth, and true. So I have a couple of questions about this. Did yeah. you come to the sermon knowing that or no. was it through the writing of the sermon that you discovered that?
1: I discovered it in writing. When I first looked at it, I really thought about the, the second part the part about the snakes. And at some point it it came to me that the solution to the problem was the same as the problem. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But it was in the writing of it that this whole piece about impatience sort of emerged. I often will free write at the beginning of the process just to sort of see what happens. And in this case, I hadn't thought about impatience that way before. But impatience is not the problem. But impatience is the thing that I wonder... We are never our best selves when we're stressed. We're never our best selves when we're impatient. We're never our best selves when, for whatever reason, we have to drop down to our habits. And impatience is one of those times where we don't think critically. We just, if I do things that I have to be apologetic over, the impatience over my daughter's inability to get dressed through her socks, like just socks is a huge hurdle in getting ready. Well, think about things that are major. So yeah, I discovered this as I as I was writing. I was pleasantly surprised.
0: Well, and I guess as what I've been ruminating on is you know, how is impatience showing up right now and what are the consequences? You point us in that direction, but what were you thinking when you wrote that?
1: I've been doing a lot of work with one of our subgroups called Reimagining Community Safety and thinking about the larger conversation in Minneapolis, especially around what is community safety. And as we're going into this trial about a police officer who killed George Floyd, What? where are we right now? And that what I'm starting to see is that part of the reason that this we're having such a hard time having this conversation is impatience. The impatience of needing a simple answer right now is causing a polarity and a divide that is not going to help us get anywhere. So people are impatient in saying, defund the police. Whether they mean exactly that or not, their impatience is bringing the whole concept down to a single line or the opposite is don't touch the police, reinforce the police. And that's another form of impatience. I'm And fear and impatience go together, I think, which I didn't say, but we're often impatient because we're afraid of something happening. So we want to get through it quick. Well, so I think I'm,
0: that was implied in your scripture. I mean, in your sermon, I really picked that up that the connection between impatience and fear and you use this quote, a couple of times, because I know it's meaningful to you, that the times are urgent, we must slow down.
1: I love that, because it's so it, counterintuitive.
0: Right, and I think it made many people pause, like, wow, you're right, the times are urgent, and the solutions aren't easy, but we have to stay with it, right? We have to stay with the work, and, and because it is slow.
1: That quote comes from a guy named Bayo Akamolafe, who's a Nigerian philosopher, and writer, and speaker, and What the little I've learned about him, and I've been reading more and more of him, is he is trying to find, he's trying to participate in the problem solving of modernity, of where we are now with all the crises at hand, but learning from all that we have um, pushed to the side, from indigenous thought, from people who are centered in the land, from people who are contemplative. And that idea of just urgency does not mean speeding. Modernity tells us to move as fast as we can, as if that can somehow solve things. But we need to slow down. Then we'll have thoughtful solutions.
0: And I know many people are past anxious for systemic change. Right. And really frustrated that we seem to be living in a a world that is so resistant to equality and justice and change, particularly if it supports and lifts up dominant culture. Mm -hmm. So how do we embrace this understanding of urgency versus slowing down?
1: And patience brings us to either revolution or status quo. Those are sort of the two options, the two extremes. Mm -hmm. We either destroy it and start over, or we maintain the thing and hope it somehow solves itself. Those are impatient responses. Patience and slowing down means that you have to like sift through all that, find what can be kept and what can be discarded. And that's hard work.
0: Well, and it leads into kind of the main thesis of your sermon to me. Yeah. uh, When you talk about, you know, the thing, well, the thing is whatever the serpent is represented on the point, like we have to look at the problem. We have to look at the problem and then we will know healing, which is a really beautiful take on this complicated passage of scripture, but also deeply, both personal and communal, because I've already heard from people who listened to the sermon, who then began to think of all the snakes in their life, personal snakes that they they have to look at if they're going to find any kind of resolution or healing at all. And then of course, in our world, in our communities, oh my gosh, the snakes are everywhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we created them often partially through our impatience. You and I may not have created them. The people living now might not have, but they were created by people. And just because the story began before we were born doesn't mean we're somehow in a different story. They're ours to deal with.
0: Absolutely. And so my question for you as we, we come to the end of our time together is, what is, as we think about who we are as community and church, Plymouth, what is a snake that we need to really look at right now together as a church?
1: That's a really great question. I think there's probably as many answers to that as there are active participants in the community. And because of that, I would say my answer to that is our snake is our own power, that we have created a system and a church that has historical significance and power in the city of Minneapolis and in the state of Minnesota. We have resources and we have a campus and we have people and we're not shrinking and dying we are growing but that power what do we do with it what what is it that we do with our with who we are that's sort of a harder snake we have built we have been bitten by our own success in some ways our own place in the world or place in the community and now we have to stare at that and know what to do with it in order to move forward because we can't pretend like we're insignificant we can't pretend like we've done nothing but what do we do next
0: and we can't blame it on this Empire we've built, that is Plymouth, right? I mean, we can try, but it's we who created it and we who have the also the power to disperse it in an equal just way. Right.
1: So what do we do with it? How do we participate in our community, in our city in justice and not just as a fortress of something, whatever mm-hmm. we want it to be, that sits in the city. It's that question of how do we how are we neighbors and not just occupying a square block? And this also comes from these same, some of these same conversations about community safety. A lot of people at Plymouth don't live in the city of Minneapolis. So what the city does around policing and safety might not impact them personally, but their church is in Minneapolis. And their church has never been anywhere else but Minneapolis. Their church has been in Minneapolis almost as long as the city's been a city. So what they have stake in this as well we have to stare at that snake. We can't pretend that one doesn't exist. And I have witnessed in my time at Plymouth that the very natural and human thing to want to turn away and ignore, because it's hard. It is difficult. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to deal with this. But that's what we're asked to do. And to turn away just continues the cycle. When you think about the integrating of schools in the South in the nineteen early 1960s, and you think about the horde of white people yelling at the one african-american student walking into class that was not all the white people in the community that was some but most of them stayed home and didn't show up Mm -hmm. on either side and that sort of silence and that sort of saying this isn't my problem this isn't my snake is i think harmful to us all we've all been bitten and so that means we all have to look at it we can't turn away
0: amen and and we have to stay (laughs) even though i want to yeah because it hurts It, Mm -hmm. it hurts to look at it and it it makes us face things about ourselves, we'd probably rather ignore. And it's it's a slow, slow process, which means we have to stay with it. The time is urgent, but we have to slow down.
1: When our body is cut, when we have a wound, our body does not keep going on as if things are fine. It diverts all of its energy to the source of the problem.
0: So one final question, Seth, because we've been shaping our uh, preaching In this Lenten season around covenant and the understanding of covenant and the way covenant appears in the Torah, where is covenant for you? Where's the message around covenant for you in this particular passage?
1: Yeah, it's implied, I think. The other ones talk about that we've done so far. Covenant is explicitly named. Here is a covenant. Here is a promise. Here's a thing you will do. This one, it's more implied that we are a community, whether we like it or not. You can complain about it, but you're still here with us. Here's your responsibility. The covenant is built into the thing. Mm -hmm. It's not only some of you need to look at the snake that all of you do. All of you who are bitten by a problem need to look and you need to help others do it. What I tried to pull in at the end of the sermon is that this is easier to do when we're together. If I look at the problems of climate change and white supremacy and patriarchy and houselessness and poverty by myself, that's really difficult. I can easily turn my head, I can easily be overwhelmed. And certain people easily are re-traumatized by these things. But instead, if we do it together, we can help hold each other accountable to looking, but also hold each other up when we falter. Because we will falter. It is hard. Hmm.
0: Yes, you say at the end, we are called not to bite back, not to inflict more pain, but to bind ourselves together in covenantal community and look directly at the problems. We may not want to, it may be easier to not look, but healing for each of us and all of us will only come from looking at the source of the hurt. To be saved from the snake, we must look directly at the snake. Well, Seth, thank you for preaching a sermon that's going to stay with me. I will never look at this passage without remembering what you said on Sunday uh, and this really interesting interpretation. and. Commission charge to all of us to be patient, but to look at the hard places um, and not to walk away. I think it's important. Thank you. Times are
1: urgent. We must slow down. Slow
0: down. Amen. Well, thanks, friends, for listening to another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth. Thanks, Seth, for joining me from Florida, where you'd much rather be in that pool. I would Imagine than uh, talking to me, but I'm grateful for this time.
1: I am so glad to talk to you. But when (laughs) we are done, I am going to go back.
0: (laughs) Excellent. I'm glad
1: to know. I have to dry off at some point.
0: (laughs) All right, friends, be well and join us again next week.
1: Goodbye, everyone.